<laughs> Something about those guys. They always pinky ring. Yeah, they got a pinky, pinky ring. That's an instant red flag. Is there a pinky a ring? Big old gold chain with like some chest hair. You know, that's that's you know quick. Yeah. Let's go check the credentials, yeah. sir. Welcome to Craft Advice, a podcast to help investors tackle the more complex area of their personal and business finances. Join Jack and Sean as we discuss everything from investing to retirement and everything in between. So let's say you inherit some money, maybe sell your business, or maybe just need help with investments. The question is going to be, what do you do? Do you go see an advisor? Do you Google your symptoms and try to figure out a solution. What we want to cover in today's podcast is a little bit about how to evaluate an advisor. There's a million advisors and a million different structures and a million different firms. So today's podcast is going to dive a little deep into things to consider, maybe questions to ask an advisor, maybe things to think about after you've met with an advisor, maybe ways to narrow down who you should be searching with, or if you're meeting with a firm, which one of the advisors to work with. So, so hopefully today this gives an overview of if you're trying to get financial help, whether it's with your personal finances, your business finances, how do you get started? So what are you drinking today, Sean? What's, what's, on, the, uh, what's on tap? So I've got Big Nose. It's a, uh, a local IPA out of Tampa. Is it really? What's the yeah. brewery? The brewery is, let's see, Swamphead Brewery, Florida beer. Very nice. Gainesville, not Tampa. I'm like, I haven't heard of that. Well, then this can's a liar because- You know what it probably was? There's a huge Cigar City canning operation in Tampa, and they, Mm -hmm. I think, get used by a lot of other breweries. But since we're going to be on the discussion of Tampa beers, I'm going to actually- represent a real Tampa beer. I'm drinking, this is my go-to. I think after that sour experiment last week, I've, yeah, gonna re- I'm going to refuse doing like that again. I don't know, I'm sitting here looking around like, why did I think this was a Tampa beer? Eh, you're just getting now excited it. for the reef donkey I'm bringing from is that Tampa what you got? Bay Brewing. The, um, what's, what's hilarious, I got a message from someone after the first podcast and they go, how the hell do you even drink sours? <laughs> like a combination of, <laughs> mouthwash oh there you are the absolute worst yeah sour for the absolute worst thing so i'm going with a pale ale i I said i was going to go with these weird things i scrapped that idea completely i'm going to go with good tasting stuff so anywho let's get into finding an advisor or evaluating an advisor or another way if an advisor is coming after you Occasionally, we'll get a note from somebody or a friend of the family that says, hey, someone's pitching me something to buy. So this is kind of how do you know what you're looking for? So yeah, I guess if we're going to start, you know, when it comes to anything with advisors in general, the biggest thing you got to know is what are you trying to do in the first place? Like if you're going to be planning, what are you planning for? Everyone's got something different. Some people need their business. Some people have insane stock options through work. Some people just lost a loved one, so they need some help with their estate. Yeah, some people are just different stages in life. Exactly. Yep. Different strokes for different folks. There you go. That. That's it. 
don't know if that applies to this, but technically that's exactly right. Everyone's, everyone's in a different wavelength, different net worth composition, different investment composition, yeah. different employment yeah, it's, composition, it's, it's, family dynamics. If you're so a blue you collar know, worker with, you know, three to $500,000 in savings versus a, maybe a white collar worker who has, you know, one to two or $3 million in savings, you're, you know, you may need different level of planning, different level of, uh, you know, you'll, you'll also have access to different types of investment strategies, one over the other. So that all depends on who you're going to be working with and likely what you, you'll likely be paying. And the complexity, I think, well, I don't know if it's, I haven't figured out if it's right or not, but it seems the complexity is warranted the, the higher the investable yeah. dollars, or at least that's what most advisors tend to do is get more complex, the higher mm -hmm. the net worth of the client. But I do think the planning stuff does get more complex. You win the lottery, you're going to have family members you didn't even know existed coming to try to loot you. So you might as well make sure your estate plans are in order, your investment strategy is right, get with right. an attorney on the trust. So that's the, that's the first core component. And anything you're going to do with an advisor, it's kind of like if you go to the doctor, you need someone to diagnose the problem before you get referred to a specialist. I kind of think the same thing applies here, but you kind of got to do a little self-diagnosis and figure out what the heck are you working on? Yeah, what do you need? But also, what do you want, right? I mean, like if you you don't want to want a- My money and I want it, or I need it now. I want it now. But what I'm saying is you don't want to have a situation where a client's like, hey, you know, I want to sit down with somebody. I want a full financial plan. I want to go over all of that. And then they work with somebody who doesn't do that at all, or they're sitting with somebody because it was a, a, you know, an advisor that was referred to them by a friend or a family member. And they really don't do that type of complex level of planning. You know, maybe they're more into kind of more product type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's different. So they, I think this is where figuring out again, what you need is crucial because to our whole premise of this podcast, there's almost every flavor of advice out there. So if you need someone specifically to dive into a complex estate problem. Or we worked a case where somebody owned a business, spouse A owns the business, then passes away, spouse B inherits the business and has no idea what to do with it. And so you really need to get someone in there that understands business planning, business taxes, how to sell a business, yeah. how to buy a business. Sean owns a business. So we'll get into that on a on a whole separate episode, but understanding who needs to be on your bench is important, which, which players should be on the field. Absolutely. So what's the next section we, we should jump into? Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, you know, the big thing, I mean, I, I think the most important thing in my opinion, when a client or just anybody, right. When, you know, if I'm talking to an absolute stranger and they said, Hey, what would you tell me would be good things to look out for when choosing an advisor? You know, the biggest topic, and you and I have talked about this, ad nauseum is, you know, a salesman versus a real advisor, right? Somebody who's acting as a fiduciary in your best interest. Uh, and, and for those in the audience that don't know, so a fiduciary is, is somebody who has to legally act upon, you know, what's for what's in your best interest, not necessarily what's in my best interest, or even something that's, you know, not something that's not necessarily in my best interest, but just whatever is not in your best interest, right? So if it's a strategy that I potentially could get paid more on or uh, some type of investment product that I could get paid more on, and it may be good for you, it may be okay for you, it's not bad, but it doesn't mean it's the best for you. Yep. Or right. So 
a good I'm example of that. More of a, I'm getting a little bit more of a benefit from it than necessarily you might be. I got a friend reach out to me. This is maybe just around before, just before COVID started. Medical field doctor making good money, and mm -hmm. the <laughs> the the message I got was, "Should I buy X Y Z life insurance policy?" <laughs> and I was like, how, "Like, how did we just get to?" life insurance. Like where, where did this come from? And he's like, met a guy at a coffee shop, told him I was a doctor, told me I needed this. And I was like, okay, you just blew past every possible thing that you should be doing. You know, and the, what advice should you be, you know, looking for? Yeah. Got coffee shop. You basically just said, I am a sucker and he's going to slam this policy <laughs> real quick. So I, I agree. Line. It's cool. No, 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 you'll be fine. Yeah. You need but you got to you you do have to figure out if you're working with an actual advisor, you know, big big scary word that you can say that normally will weed out a, a non advisor, more of a salesperson is just fiduciary. Ask mm -hmm. if they're a fiduciary, do they have a fiduciary designation? Do they take a fiduciary oath? Will they sign that? Yep. People will say a lot of stuff to you, but if they don't sign it, it doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. So is there an agreement with you coming on board? So from a salesperson advisor, again, if someone's approaching you and they're trying to figure out some way to engage you and get you to put your money into something and they have no idea what you want to do, your goals, you know, what you're trying to do with your business, your kids, your family, your retirement, and they're just going for a product, throw out the fiduciary terms, see what comes back, yep. see if they will do any planning stuff. And then probably get a second opinion if that comes up. Because if the first six words are insurance, sales, whatever else. And not, to, not to beat those guys up too bad. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of different ways that people in our field get paid. Obviously, there's the commission-based, you know, individuals that are more so on the insurance annuity side. Um, you know, there's the fee-only financial planners where they sit down and, you know, hey, we'll, we'll make you this plan. We'll give you this document. It costs X dollars, we get X meetings, but then after that you're flying solo. Um, and, and then there's the asset under management base, which is how, you know, how Cinch Advisory Group is. So that's how we are. Um, and that's how a lot of people in our in our space are, I would say. But yeah, I think the the best advice I heard from the product side was actually the guy that the guy that did our CFP live review, good old Ken Zahn. Ken he Zahn. said, you know, there is not a single bad product that exists. There's just a lot of bad salespeople. Yeah. And I, I can't emphasize how important that is because you're right for some crazy complex scenario probably requires some crazy complex insurance strategy, maybe a complex private equity or real estate strategy. Does every individual need that? No. So that's the, that's the fine line here is, is, is there a, I guess a, a reason that they're using this product is there a reason that the recommendation somehow yeah. ties into what you want to do? Yeah, no, if not, that's probably say, a salesperson. I would say it definitely comes back to, are they listening to you? Right. Or, or like if you, when you sit down with this person and you're having that discussion and you're saying, this is what I want to do. This is, are they, are they listening to you or are they waiting for you to stop talking? Yep. yep. Right. Are they waiting for you to stop talking to say, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, this is what we should do we should do this or we should be in this because again again not to beat up the insurance annuity guys that are primarily commission-based 
they might listen very well and present an annuity that makes perfect sense or a piece of insurance that makes perfect sense. Whereas you take somebody who may be a fiduciary, but isn't really listening to you, right? Just because they're a fiduciary doesn't necessarily mean they're listening to you. They might want to slam you in some type of managed product or managed strategy that they're taking care of on their own and they get a little bit extra money for it. Point is, is, you know, you really want to sit down with somebody and have a conversation with them and decide, you know, is this person listening to me? Do they care what is going on in my life? Do they care about what I want to accomplish? And are they trying to, you know, do what I want within the, you know, scope that I'm asking for? Yep. So to recap so far, we got one, figure out what you want them to do. And then the second thing is make sure they're not just a salesperson. You will find all too many of those. I think the next thing is pretty obvious as far as, you know, what would be the third thing you'd look at? I'm going to go credentials, education, employment. So understand who you're working with. If you're talking with an advisor, unfortunately, there's not a high barrier of entry into this career path, which is a good thing for people interested in the advising world. It's not hard to get into. The downside to that is that means there's a lot of less qualified, less educated, less credentialed individuals out there. Now, these aren't all pass fails. So it's not like if someone has good credentials, has a good you know, education background, and they're employed by a good firm, it doesn't mean they're a great advisor. But that will weed out a lot of people. If someone's been in school for financial planning, investments. It's a starting point, absolutely. Exactly. Economics, they went to, I mean, I even follow my own path. Financial planning degree, went right into a financial services company, got my certified financial planning designation and been doing this ever since. So the career path matches exactly what I'm doing now. There's a lot of people that are just kind of hopping around. So it's a very easy thing. I think you could ask a new advisor, look up on their website. Do they have their credentials, their history, what they've been doing? Yep. A lot of that's going to simply tell you where they've been. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you and I talked about this before, but it's uh, it's kind of funny how you can bump into some guys in the industry that, you know, hey, this guy used to sell cars or this guy used to, you know, he, he was a, a timeshare salesman. Because yeah. sometimes you get some of those personalities out there that they're, they are outgoing and they come from professions that needed them to be outgoing. And for one reason or another, they have trickled into the financial services. Space. You know, I think there's a visual cue and it's something with like white collars on like a blue shirt or like, you know, the collar or the, the wrist sleeve is a different color. Yeah. And there's a couple large rings. <laughs> something about those guys. They always, a pinky ring. Yeah. They got a pinky, pinky ring. ring. That's an instant red flag. Is there a pinky a ring? Big old gold chain with like some chest hair. You know, that's, that's, you know, quick. Yeah. Let's go check the credentials, sir, before we get out here. You know, we're doing a salesman. Do you even grow chest hair, Sean? No. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Oh. Well, anyways, there's a tangent. But yeah, their their history, their career, their credentials is important. So knowing where they're at. We talked about this on the last episode. There are a lot of websites. I think it's investor.gov. You can search Broken anyone check. out there. You can pull up their history, where they've been, where they worked. I sold cell phones in college before I got my first job in investment. So you got to start somewhere, yeah. but it's a simple, easy thing to know where they're at, what they've been doing. Are they actually trying? You know, I use the CFA designation as an example is the chartered financial analyst designation is like the 
at least consider the gold standard for investment advisors, kind of researchers, people managing money. And just going through that process is insane. It's like mental waterboarding of no, it's math over and over again. It's years to get it. It's intense. Yeah. But no, again, to your point, it's it's not just about you know their their certifications and are they in the industry, but what did they do before, right? I mean, what were their professions before? Have they only how long have they been doing this, right? Have they been in the industry three years, five years, 10 years, 15, 20, et cetera? So it's, it's, there's no silver bullet, no concrete, this is the answer, but you, you have to weigh all that into consideration with obviously the conversation you're having them. Are they listening to you? Do you like their firm? Do you like what they're offering? Do you also like, are they going to be able to provide you with what you need, right? Are you somebody who needs a complex financial plan? Are you somebody who needs more complex estate planning? Can this person or this firm facilitate that? Um, or is it somebody where you don't need any of that and this person's trying to sell you a complex financial plan or they're trying to sell you estate planning and say, hey, I want to refer you to this attorney that I work with because obviously they get a piece of that. And, you know, you, you don't need that for whatever, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, your situation doesn't require that level of complexity, but they're trying to add that in there. So, so those are things to just be aware of. Um, but, yeah, no, I think background education credentials are, are very, very important. And I don't think we really touched on it much, but obviously Jack and I both have the CFP, which for a financial planner is the gold standard. Uh, again, requires a certain level of uh, education. It requires a certain level of experience in the industry. It requires annual uh, continuing education. So it's a very involved process that requires you to be, again, extremely engaged and uh, to continue to maintain those, those marks. Yeah, I'm still interested to see how they respond to that was a Wall Street Journal article, but we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll touch on that in another episode. Yeah, another episode. So anyway, so, so we got three things so far. So we got figure out first what kind of advice you need. We got, are they a salesperson? Are they an advisor? Kind of try to figure out what they're trying to do. Are they just trying to slam a product at you? Or are they actually trying to learn what they're doing? What, you're, what you need. We have the educational side. I want to get to something different. This is something all of us bald guys are familiar with, which is hats. <laughs> the number of hats that an individual wears, I think is crucially important. So what I mean yeah. by this is a lot of advisors do too many things at times. So your advisor shouldn't be your investment manager, tax preparer, your estate planner, your trustee, you, know, you need to make sure the person you're working with has some specific job that they're doing that they can master. Myself, I don't manage money for clients. We have someone in our firm that does that all day long. I'm wasting time with Sean talking about financial planning. <laughs> so can't be managing money right now. So part of this process. How many hats they're wearing, obviously, but also, you know, how many clients do they have, right? What's their bandwidth? Right? Do they have 50 clients? Do they have 100 clients? Do they have 200 clients? I mean, obviously, you and I spent some time in the, the corporate financial advisory world where, I mean, it's not uncommon for advisors in certain firms to have four, five, six hundred clients that they're working with. I mean, it's just incredible numbers that you obviously just can't really fathom in, in terms of being able to manage and know on a personal level. Yep. And definitely not on a, on a financial level to really understand hey, what's going on in Joanne and Steve's, you know, financial plan. 
because they're just one of 650 clients that you have. Yeah. And every day there's new ones popping into the book and someone's yeah. leaving and going to the other firm. So you really, you might have 10 of 600 you actually know, and you can do good planning with, you know, if you're in that stage where you have too much bandwidth on the flip side, if you're on the smaller end, you only have 50 clients and you are the advisor, the investment manager, the tax preparer, you're doing the estate plans, you're their trustee, you're running your own business. You know, this, this is kind of a hard thing because I don't know if there's an easy way to identify this. Maybe how stressed <laughs> they seem might be a good question, but maybe they hold that back. But you need to figure out how many jobs or how many responsibilities that individual is going with. If they're a pure planner, that's a good person to actually help you figure out the plans you're working on. If they're doing a little bit of everything, then you may want to see if the firm has a specialist or someone that can specifically dedicate time for financial planning needs or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I mean, to piggyback on that, I would say that a lot of the, uh, I mean, a, a good planner knows what he doesn't know and he's not going to try to fake it through. And he's going to tell you straight up if there's this complex charitable trust or this special needs trust, they're going to bring somebody in obviously, right? They're, they, they recognize the situation. They recognize the need. And that's what you want them to be able to do is to recognize that and to say, okay, this is how we solve that issue. This is how we solve that problem. This is who I partner with. This is, and, and it's a good, I think these are good questions to ask when you're talking to a, somebody you might be interviewing. It's like, hey, if this situation were to happen, how would you generally, you know, how would you generally handle that, right? Would yeah. you, do you have, you know, attorneys or CPAs or other people either within your firm or outside your firm that you work with and partner with to take care of that type of stuff? Well, maybe that's the way to approach it is, you know, I think about our firm here and I have, you know, on, I think we have three attorneys we work with specifically for, okay, if there's a special needs case, it's going here. If it's nope. elder law, it's going here. If it's Medicaid asset protection, it's going here. If it's non-compete stuff, it's going somewhere else. We have the same thing on the CPA section. So maybe a helpful thing people should do is ask whoever the advisor is, who is their kind of centers of influence, who do you use to fill in the rest of these boxes? A, a complete financial plan should cover everything, taxes, insurance, your budget, your retirement, your income, your legacy, your charitable stuff. And so if they're not doing them, who is? And if they are, you know, it's very difficult for someone to do all of them and do them very well, unless they have 15 clients. Yeah, I was going to say, if they've got 25 clients, then maybe. Yeah. But that... I think this transition good into our, this is our fifth thing. So yep. we have, what advice are you looking for? We got figure out if you got a salesperson or an advisor, you have to, the credentials. So what's their history, their background. We have the number yep. of hats. I'm a fan of snapbacks, but you know, figure out what you've kind of hats. Incredible. What was that? So you've got incredible hats. The hard part with a snapback and a bald head, though, is you get a real nasty sunburn if you, if you don't prepare. So, you know, I'm, I'm like the king of Prepared. my credentials, education, and history in hats is like beyond. It's beyond. Next level. Yeah. If there's a credential That's for it, I definitely got it. Yes. But the next one would be, and, and I think this is kind of a hard thing to, to look at, but you have to figure out with an advisor, are they an independent firm? Are they their own firm, everything's kind of run in-house? Or 
the other side I'm going to call is kind of like an employee advisor, or maybe you know, there's wirehouse advisors. There are, I guess, think of this another way. You have advisors that work for themselves. They have their own processes, their own theories, their own beliefs. Then you have other advisors that just work as almost a sales subset or a relationship manager of a larger firm. Yep. And so the <clears throat> difference in that is, is kind of easy. It's in my mind, running a business versus going to work. You have some advisors that go to work. They have established teams because they have such a large business maybe behind them. Our prior employer had trillions of dollars under AUM and I don't know, hundreds of thousands of employees, maybe. I mean, they got a ton of them. So every department and every specialty and any planning capacity you want is at the advisor's kind of, you know, at, at their earliest convenience, they just hit a button and boom, somebody comes on the phone. But the thing that's concerning there is now you have someone that may not really know much more than just being the presenter. They organize the material, they present it, they push it out. Now you're gonna have some fantastic advisors in that, that, you know, know how to use that hub and spoke model of, Hey, I have my trust people, my investment people, but we talked earlier about the car salesman wearing the white collar. He's probably, or she's probably hanging out in that employee advisor role. It's cushy. It's easy. You don't have to do much. Exactly. Just show if up out, and work. They'll you're outgoing you and aggressive. You can, you can do well in that, in that type of uh, environment. I mean, I, I would, I would add on to that, um, you know, kind of the, to weave in the fiduciary aspect, because in theory, those individuals continue, can still act as fiduciaries, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean they really are. Because, and again, you and I both know there are, especially at corporate advisories, you know, corporate advisor environments, there are still buckets that need to be filled. Yep. Right? Are you not selling quotas. product A, quotas, so to speak? And it's like, well, they, you know, the, the rationale is that you have so many clients that you can fill these quotas somehow. You just need to go find it, find how you can fill this quota, whether it's right or wrong for the client, it's, it's, it's out there in their eyes, the opportunities are somewhere. And that's why they give you so many clients because they figure that if they throw so much at you, you'll find those opportunities and you'll fill those buckets. And again, sometimes advisors are, you know, maybe behind on the quarter or behind on the year, or whatever their numbers are struggling and they're having a situation with their manager. And, and again, they might push something one, you know, to one client or another client that may not be the best thing for them, or they might take them out of this product or this managed portfolio to put them in a different one, whether that was the best thing for them is not necessarily the case, right? It, it's just maybe it's not bad for the client necessarily, but it's going to really help the advisor. And that type of I think conflict of interest is still present. And I don't know if that one's truly discussed as much among the corporate advisor setting. I think it gets lost at some point in the mix. Yep. I think this is a big reason. The whole reason I left the corporate finance spot, I didn't have a job here. I just quit. <laughs> I changed my LinkedIn status to retired, which anyone looking for a job do that. Cause it's, I had recruiters hitting me up <laughs> like every day. How did you retire? I just said investments. And then can we talk about a possible job option? So that was a super smart idea, but I guess got burnt out because it was like, I don't want to come in and hit quotas all the time. You know, the goal yeah. for me, we have enough clients here where, you know, the advisor makes enough on the independent space where I'm not stressed to keep finding more clients, but instead 
improve and expand the service and the quality of the service I'm giving to the existing clients. And if you have rather than 55 leads coming in every Monday and you got to have them all called by Friday, you know, if we get a couple a month, that's fantastic. They're very, very well welcomed. Normally they're a friend of a friend or a friend of a family and we'll get to referrals in a second. But I think that's where I like the independent space is most independent advisors are going to have the ability to provide more time because they set their own quotas. But this is a live by the sword, die by the sword thing because while they're independent and they can take the time with you and they can spend 50 hours doing a financial plan with you, they're also running a business. And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I know the statistics of small business normally are not that great. A lot of people running and launching businesses have some struggles. 80% of them fail within the first three years. Is that what it is? It's pretty high. Yeah. I bet we could find a statistic. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure we could find one on the advisory space. There's gotta be one, but that is probably the most overlooked thing is there's so much stress in running a business that a lot of people don't understand. And so if the advisor you're working with, like you were saying, yeah, or they can't get their taxes done in time. And so now you're calling in because one of your loved ones passed and you have questions about it and your accountant's behind on or your advisor's behind on his taxes and can't get in touch with his accountant. You know, it snowballs the effect. So in the independent space, I really like to look for team approaches a team of people. So the bench is there. They have maybe tax investment, maybe a state on staff. They have multiple advisors. It's not just a one man army. It's a group of people. And so I think that's one of the things to look at. If you're going to the corporate side, figure out, are you going to be dealing with quotas and are you going to have worse service because of those quotas? If you got a hundred million dollars and don't worry about any of this, because somebody will treat you right for the amount of money you have, but you know, for the average family, the average business that's growing in savings, those are the two risks on both sides. You have a business owner that's going to give you the time. If the business runs well, then that's probably an ideal solution for you. Yeah. On the flip side, you could find someone at a corporate firm that's fantastic. They have the time, the resources, maybe the quotas aren't as stretched. So I mean, I would, I would add to that, that, you know, it really also depends on the individual being the right fit, right? I mean, to your point, uh, you know, on the independent space, we don't have to hit quotas, so to speak, and we don't have to take every lead and every client. It just, it's, you know, we interview clients, you know, do we get along with this individual? Do we think that this is a person that we can, you know, have a good relationship with, but can we also help them, right? Whatever they're asking for, are they asking for something that's too much, right? Do they want 20% a year in terms of returns with no downside, right? Are their expectations so far out of reach that we're just like, it's not a good fit. We don't need to work with you. You know, good luck, that type of stuff. Or, you know, or maybe a personality thing. Point is, is on the independent side, it is nice because you are able to be more picky, if you will. Yep. You know, you don't have to take every client. You, you really work on who's a good fit and can I help this person? Yep. That's really what's most important. Are we a good fit with each other and can I help them? In I think the that's setting it's it's really hey they're coming in the seat what can I get out of you what how can I help you but really what can I get out of it for myself because again it's it's back to hitting those quotas every person that I work with there has to be some type of positive interaction with them yeah that I think that's probably the biggest allure to the independent space is we're in a fortunate spot where I can refer clients away and I'll actually occasionally meet a prospect that's way too much work they're expecting too much. They want me to maybe do all the hats, wear all my hats at the same time. I'm going to look like a clown. I don't want to do that. 
So oh, really? yeah, it's it's not good if I wear more than one hat. So clown hat does not look good on you. Yeah, dunce cap, any of that stuff. I don't want any of that. Snapbacks, sticking with the snapbacks. But I think that's where the independent side, at least for me, has been fantastic. Is I'm fine to turn away a client and just say, look, we're we're not able to work with you because I don't want to have all this crazy stress. I don't want to have some chaotic client come in the door that causes some sort of crazy stress with me that then bleeds over to someone else yep. or to how we run the business. So I think that's a fortunate spot for us. That's not something everybody can do, yep. but that's a, I think the, the reason I emphasize the independent size a lot, side a lot. And I think to sum up kind of where we're going with this conversation and what do you do, you know, you're going to figure out what kind of advice you want. You're going to figure out their salesman. You're going to figure out their education and background, how many hats they are or are not wearing. You're going to figure out if they work for a big corporation or are the independent. And honestly, the best solution is a referral in my mind. If you have someone you know that is good with money, has money, has saved money. I mean, some people are good at earning money, but they're not good at saving it and investing it. But I would typically ask someone close to you that you trust who they work with. Absolutely. Because I think you should be able to get some quality, quality background, some, some, here's my experience, here's where they're investing my money. If they're, I guess, comfortable enough with you, maybe they can show you what the experience is. A lot of advisors will show you nothing of what your money is going to look like, where it's going to be held, what it's going to be invested in. If you come on board with them, like what's, what's behind the curtain, you may be able to get that from a friend. That's a referral. Um, it's another thing I didn't even add in the list here, but ask the advisor. You know, so if I come on board, what do I get? What does it look like? Do you have, you know, a website? Do you have something I can sign in? Can I see stuff or am I just, I, I write you a check and it goes off in the middle of nowhere and hope to God you're not on a plane in the Bahamas. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the referrals, uh, yeah, again, to your point, it's the best place to start from, right? Because generally speaking, you know, your friends or family members that you trust with money, they're, you know, probably somebody that's, you can tolerate personally. So if it's somebody that you like personally, their advisor is probably somebody they like personally. So it's probably somebody you're going to likely like personally. Um, and then again, from there, it's still go through the same list like we talked about before. What are their credentials? What's their background? What's their history? You know, how many hats are they wearing? All those things are extremely important. You still have to check that out, right? Trust, but verify, right? Even though it's a referral, that's still, again, more of a starting point. From there, you still have to verify everything and make sure it's a good fit for you and make sure that they are going to be providing the service that you want. Yep. Right. And you may be able to get a lot of those questions asked from someone already working with them or, you know, Hey, what have they helped you with? Okay. So they helped you with your student loans. Did they actually help you or did they just tell you things and it didn't work? You, you can prod normally your, your friends, family, extended friends, whatever it might be to try to figure that out. So keep that in mind. But again, to just to recap, what kind of advice are you looking for? Start there. You can search on Google and find pretty much anyone at that point. Figure out once you start interviewing people, are they a salesman? Are they advisors? Are they going to actually give you products? Do they show you? I mean, most websites will show you the banks they work with. There's disclosures all over their website. 
figure out their credentials. You can find that on most people's website or investor.gov. How many hats? Again, that's normally something you're gonna find out when you're talking to them. Are they an independent advisor? Are they an employee advisor? They work for a firm and then again, go back to the referral. But we're gonna add a different kind of wrap up section here. We're gonna play a little game called buy, sell or hold. My thought of this may be different than your, Sean, but it's basically different topics kind of tied to this space. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start, but would you buy, sell, or hold advisor luncheons, mailings, dinner seminars, that crap that comes in the mail? Mm, I'm selling that. I think I'd I mean, sell I that think, too. I think it's definitely... It, it had its place and I don't, I don't know if it's completely gone. I mean, it's, it has its place to a small degree. It's just not something I think that we, and, and definitely, you know, kind of Gen Xers and, you know, Gen Z and millennials and just people going forward are really into. Uh, so I think that's one of those things that's just getting kind of phased out. Well, what if it, what if it converts? What if they just Uber eat you like, you know, the same meal, and then you all sign in to your Robinhood account and you just, you know, chat. Still selling? Still selling. I think I'm out. Okay. I'm out of all that right. one. What do you got? Throw one of yours out. Uh, I mean, I would say uh, inflation. So I'm selling inflation. Or, I'm going to sell it with you. Or, or, are you buy, selling, or holding the idea of, of inflation being transitory? I guess I'm selling it. I think this is just like a hype thing you know you shove a bunch of money in maybe it comes up for a couple quarters and then normalizes i don't i don't think we're back in the 70s yet so i'm gonna go yeah, sell you're, you're selling the uh the inflation is here yep okay. gotcha yeah so i don't think inflation it, it won't stick around we'll say that yeah all right so here's one for you just had robin hood ipo today so would you buy sell or hold the idea of robin hood for advisors i was thinking about this with personal capital with Betterment, they kind of all focused on the individual and then have hard pivoted back to the advisor. Yep. So buy, sell, or hold Robinhood opening in it, an advisor platform. That's tricky. Robinhood has a, uh, a dodgy track record <laughs> to say the least, but I think it is the, the theory or the thought behind it in general technology platforms, making things more accessible, more trans, uh, you know, more transparent, easier, uh, lowering the cost. I think all that's great. So I definitely buy it as a kind of a general direction of where the industry's heading. Yeah, I would buy that. All but right. not running necessarily. All right, you're up. What do you got? All right. Um, I mean, this, this economic comeback, are you buying, uh, selling, or holding? Do you think we're going to have a little bit of a slowdown with the uh, spike in the Delta variant? You think that's kind of that's going to come and go, or where, where do you think we're heading? I'm buying the uh, economy growing. I think there's too many F-150s with no chips sitting in them, and there's a lot of dudes waiting to get their F-150s. So these are on back order like crazy. I know. So I I think you're just you still have this like. It's like you're trying to shove a rock through a straw and it's just like at some point the straw is going to open and that thing is going to go flying through there. So I that's how you lose an eye. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how you lose an eye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one I got. Uh, buy, sell, or hold 
advisor online ranking. So we've been talking today about finding an advisor. What do you what are your thoughts on top 100, 40 under 40, 50 under 50? I don't and also why don't they keep doing that? 60 under 60, you know, 70 under 70, you know, keep I don't it going. Know why they stop they stop at 40. That's age discrimination. You know, keep it that going. Somebody's got to fix that. Um I'm buying it. I mean I, I buy it to a degree. Right. I mean, I think everything's local, regional with with advisors. So some of these national, you know, top 100 in the country type things. I mean, those are a lot of times those are people who are a little bit more on the uh, developmental side as well. Um, I mean, I know marketing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's more of a gimmick, if you will, for for larger firms. I don't, I don't really know if I, I buy too much of that, um, but some of the. On a firm level, I would say I buy it on a firm level, on an individual advisor level that I, I'm not really, I'm not buying that. All right. Last one. What do you got? Last one. Let me see here. The robo advisor. So the robo advisor has, right. I mean, it went through a period where it was exploding and everybody was basically like, advisors are going to be out of jobs. Nobody's yep. going to be able to do it. You guys are all going to get fired. And it seems like a lot of the bigger firms have caught up and there's a plenty of free platforms out there right now. So the whole robo-advisor piece seems to have slowed down. So just kind of want to know what your thoughts are there. Buy, sell, hold on the future of the robo-advisor. I'm going to hold it. I think if anything, I've seen all of the big robo-advisors have not solved the human issue. So unless this turns into the movie Wally and we're all riding around in couches and stuff like that, you know, just, up. <laughs> <laughs> I love when they show his toes and none of them are connected. They're all just floating. So if we get there, I'm going to go like strong buy on robo advisors. If we don't get there and it stays normal, mm -hmm. I think there's too much human element in advice. It, it's kind of like people are too, People are too emotional with their money, like they're emotional with their politics and they're emotional when it comes to health stuff. So absolutely, I think it'll be a supplement to what people are doing. A lot of advisors use robos to automate a lot of the back end work, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. So you got any other thoughts before we wrap this thing up? No, I think we touched on a lot of things. Uh, you know, maybe a recap real quick. Like you said, um, how many number of hats are they holding? Right. What kind of advice, like what is the scope of work that you need them to do? Uh, what's their credentials, employment background? Are they a salesman versus an advisor? Um, you know, what kind of capacity do they work in? Are they independent? Are they corporate? And then also, like we talked about, a good starting point is to begin within your network. Right. Look through your network, find somebody who, you know, is good with money, who gives, you know, who, who gives good personal advice on money or somebody who you know has just been successful and start there and from there kind of branch out and figure out who they're working with and if, if they're a good fit and they're going to be able to help you. Yep. Well, good. Well, we'll leave it there. I think going forward, we're going to try to do a two-part on retirement plans. So we'll try to look at stuff from the individual side. So what do you do kind of on your own? And then we'll do a separate episodes solely on business retirement plans. So look forward to those in the next couple of weeks, we have a couple of guests lined up, but we got to still figure out and make sure we understand how podcast recording and editing works. How this <laughs> so, whole technology thing works. Yeah. So <laughs> I will leave it with that. Thanks everyone for listening and see you soon.
See you soon. Jack and Sean work for Sench Advisory Group, a registered investment advisory firm. All discussions between Jack and Sean or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Sench Advisory Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Sench Advisory Group may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.